In this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns, and those who dig. Live from a Montana wilderness fortress, Wednesday nights at 9 Eastern, this is the Matt Christensen Hour. Would help if I unmuted my mic. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Matt Christensen and this is the Matt Christensen Hour on Tenant Media. Good thing I caught that early. Thanks for tuning in. I am joined as always by my producer down under, Tim. Good day, Tim. Good day. How are we going? Well, that was almost a disaster, but you know, my mind is elsewhere because I thought tonight was the night, and actually it still might be. Signs point to my wife entering labor and the imminent birth of my second son, but she's not in labor just yet, so stand by because the show could uh, stop at any point like it apparently did last week. But you know, the duct tape production goes on and we aim to get better each and every week. Uh, Hey, no guests tonight, but plenty to talk about in the news. The uh, incredibly thrilling fourth GOP debate is upon us. We're an hour into it right now uh, and we're down to four unless you count Chris Christie as two, but it's DeSantis, Haley, Ramaswamy and Christie all fighting, of course, for the pointless second place. But there is some entertainment factor nonetheless. It actually is kind of thrilling based on the first hour there. The gloves are off. We'll get to that momentarily. Everybody ganging up on Nikki Haley, which uh, was an entertaining view. And then after we get through that, uh, in some surprising news earlier today, former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is leaving Congress at the end of the year. He says it's to continue the fight, but the timing makes one wonder uh, what the move is really about. Meanwhile, Congress fights about the important things, of course, how much money to give foreign countries and when, and they can't settle the matter just yet. Senator Dick Durbin thinks he has a solution to several of our problems, our border problem and our military recruiting struggle. He says, hey, just bring in the illegals into the military because, you know, what could go wrong with uh, an actual army of foreign invaders? We'll see if we uh, give that one a try. And later in the show, we'll talk about whatever this crazy explosion at that house in Arlington, Virginia was. There's still no official explanation for the blast. They're saying the guy is dead because they found parts of his body. I would say check your backyard. There may be some pieces in your backyard, too, depending on where you live. But uh, we'll take a look at that uh, later on. I mentioned about the abrupt um, end to last week's show, so sorry about that. But I did want people to understand. Uh, I got some emails, people thinking, like, did they pull the plug on you? Uh, was there some sort of hard out or something? No. What happened is my internet connection went haywire and that caused YouTube and rumble to just drop the stream early. Not sure exactly why that happened, but, uh, I have conducted plenty of tests in the week since to make sure it was a one-time thing, which means, you know, the five tests I did today won't matter and the connection will crash the second we're actually live, but it hasn't happened yet. So stand by. Uh, Another item of housekeeping, I know many of you have asked when there will be a podcast audio feed of this show. The people at Tenet tell me they are still working on setting up their audio feeds. They expect to have them ready January 1st, possibly sooner. So thanks for patience as we get all of that set up. And of course, when the audio feeds are ready, I will announce that on the show. I'll link them on my website as well, mattchristensenmedia.com, if you're looking for the uh, the one-stop shop for all of my stuff. 
And then uh, another reminder, I mentioned this last week, but I want to make sure people are aware in case they missed. Uh, we are accepting email questions for the show as well for discussion at the end of the show. We'll mix them in tonight and we'll mix them in at the end of the stream going forward. That way, if you'd like to contribute to the discussion on the show, you have an option outside of Super Chat, though, of course, we do appreciate Super Chat as well and uh, your support for the show. But if you'd just like to join the discussion, you can do that. If you'd like to send an email question for the show, head on over to the contact page of my website. I'll link it in the description of the stream as well. But uh, head to the contact page of my website, mattchristensenmedia.com slash contact, and look for the MC Hour questions box. You can uh, submit your your question there, and uh, we will discuss or may discuss your thoughts on the show, and we have a couple of those to discuss tonight. So uh, thanks to those who have already submitted. Tim, uh, what do you have to say about that? Uh, one quick note, and you have made the note within the little form. Try to keep your questions brief as uh, as brief as possible. I know, Matt, you want to try and keep this as close to an hour as possible every week. So if they're really long questions, I probably won't be able to get to them. So just basically a point of order for people if they try to keep it quick. Tim has to read them. And if they're too long, they might get lost on the way all the way over to Australia. And uh, they'll just be lost on the Internet forever. So, yes, aim for... A tweet's length, as I request on my website. Thank you for the clarification. But let's get into um into the debate here, because, of course, we're into the second hour now. So I don't know what's going on in the second hour, but some early notes about what just happened in the first. <laughs> Megan, well, I, I'm glad to see some moderators who are not uh, the uh, the usual suspects of the mainstream media, I suppose. They have an interesting lineup. They have a woman from, was it the Washington Times? Uh, and then Megan Kelly is kind of your your... Your primary host, man, Megan Kelly, I think, spent five minutes asking the first question to Ron DeSantis, which was just, hey, Ron, can you win? But I think she went through probably five to ten minutes of polling data and other context beforehand. So we got through that. And then DeSantis starts going after Nikki Haley, which was interesting because DeSantis has largely sat back, at least in in my from my perspective watching these debates DeSantis I think has assumed that he probably had a path to beat out the rest of the people and hesitated to go on the attack but he really went after Haley for you could say supporting child gender transitions or at least opposing making them illegal there was some back and forth on that and then Vivek joined in in the attack on Haley saying she makes a bunch of money off of her public service and she, and says she's corrupt but it really started to heat up when Vivek went after Nikki Haley for the topic that we discussed on this show a few weeks ago, which was Nikki Haley saying on Fox News uh, that one of the things she would do if she was president, you'd be required to disclose your real name on to use social media on the Internet. There's no anonymous speech on social media anymore. And Vivek, after criticizing uh, Jack Smith and the prosecution of Donald Trump as fascist, said that Nikki Haley is actually a fascist for her views uh, or her, her intent to make you uh, disclose your real name when you're talking online. Here was that moment. The only person more fascist than the Biden regime now is Nikki Haley, who thinks the government should identify every one of those individuals with an ID. That is not freedom. That is fascism. And she should come nowhere near the levers of power, let alone the White House. I, I gotta get okay. And Nikki Haley... I think made a big mistake here because Nikki Haley is committed. She's digging in those heels and she's saying, uh, she's saying, well, I only meant foreign bots. Remember we talked about this on the show a few weeks ago, her response to the criticism of that particular 
idea of hers was, no, 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 you misunderstand. I'm not going to make Americans disclose their identity to speak online. I just care about foreign bots from Russia or Iran meddling in our American affairs. That's all I care about. I never said that I would crack down on American speech, which of course is contrary to her original statement, which we'll get to in a moment. But here she is on the debate stage tonight, again, doubling down, saying, that's not what I said. I only care about the foreign bots. We do not need freedom of speech for Russians and Iranians and Hamas. We that's need social said. media exactly. companies to go that's and fight back on all of these bots that are happening. That's what I said. As a mom, as a mom, do I think that social media would be more civil if we went and had people's names next to that? Yes, I do think that because I think we've got too much cyberbullying. I think we've got child pornography and all of those things. But having said that, I never said government should go and require anyone's That's name. That's false. She what said, I, I said, want your name. She As absolutely said the United it. States, her first day in office, she said, one of the first things I'm going to do I said we were going to get the millions want of bots. She wants government she ID to dox that is not at all what she said. And that's, that's why this is such a tremendous mistake. It's not like a, a he said, she said type thing or some sort of hearsay about what someone thought they heard. She said there's video of her on Fox News describing exactly that. But I also appreciate uh, you know, way to play the mom card there. Nick. Oh, as a mom, I just care about protecting my kids online. Yes, other people on the stage are parents, too. And there's a key distinction between being a. <clears throat> excuse me, being the president of the United States and being a mom, you might, you're going to look after your kids much differently than you'll look after the rights of adult Americans. So sorry, like being a mom is not a unique characteristic. It is not necessarily a, a qualifier for the role of defending the rights of the American people as president of the United States. The roles are in fact quite different. Um, it would have been much better for her just to say, yeah, you know, when I said that on Fox, I was mistaken Either I thought about that and I've changed my mind or I meant to say this. I said it this way. What I said on Fox, I retract because that that was not my intent. Instead, she's making this claim that she didn't say it. And again, we can go back. This isn't like a year ago. This isn't a decade ago. This is within the last month or month and change. She's on Fox saying, when I'm president, you will have to disclose your identity to speak on social media. When I get into office, the first thing we have to do, social media accounts, social media companies, they have to show America their algorithms. Let us see why they're pushing what they're pushing. The second thing is every person on social media should be verified by their name. That's, first of all, it's a national security threat. When you do that, all of a sudden people have to stand by what they say and it gets rid of the Russian bots, the Iranian bots and the Chinese bots. And then you're going to get some civility when people know their name is next to what they say. Accountability. And they know their pastor and their family member is going to see it. It's going to help our kids and it's going to help our country. When I get into office, okay, the first so thing. She's not just talking about foreign bots. She's talking about American citizens and giving all sorts of reasons why it's important to restore civility among American citizens. And if you're going to say something online, you should know that your pastor and your family is going to say she was clearly not talking about just the influence of foreign bots, but she's going to stand on the stage now and insist that's what she meant when we can all go back and listen to what she said. And it's not that. So I think this was a big mistake for Haley. We'll see if people care about this anonymous speech issue as much as maybe I do. Obviously, free speech issues are very important to me. And I think she's dead wrong about this for reasons we've discussed previously. I don't know. I don't know how much it matters to the average Republican voter and if this will ding her that much. But if you just care about this, if you just care about base level honesty, someone um, being honest about the words they've said in the past, this was a bad moment for Nikki Haley. 
Then again, I guess my read on Nikki Haley is not um, the same as many Republican voters because she's the one who's ascending. So some voters see something in her that I do not. But you know who see nobody sees anything in Chris Christie and Chris Christie is still on the stage for some reason. It was funny. They didn't even get to Chris Christie for at least the first 15 minutes of the debate. And one of the moderators acknowledged that and said, Hey, Chris Christie's still on the stage. And he said, yep, I am. I'm right here. And then they went right back to Nikki Haley or whoever they were going to go talk to. So he didn't even get into it until maybe 20 minutes in something like that. And of course, what did Chris Christie do? He recentered the debate on, Hey, why aren't you guys talking about Trump? Bet you're scared to talk about Trump. Well, here I am to take a big fat Chris Christie dump on Trump. Like everyone wants to hear that, but nobody does. And so he, he does that. And then him and Vivek start getting into it as they're inclined to do. And in maybe the most ironic statement of the night, it has to be, or at least the most oblivious statement of the night, uh, Chris Christie called Vivek Ramaswamy the most obnoxious blowhard in America. You do this at every debate. I'll just, I'll you exactly say, no, 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 don't interrupt me. I didn't do interrupt do you. Okay? You tell say this. You, you do this. At, you go do this at every debate. You go out on the stump and you say something. All of us see it on video. We confront you on the debate stage. You say you didn't say it, and then you back away. And I want to I'll say tell you what. Exactly no, what I said, Chris. I, I'm not I've done been, yet. Well, this now is. Now look. This is nonsense. This man is spewing. This man is spewing nonsense. Let me tell you something. This is the fourth debate. The fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So shut up for a while. Okay, anyone on stage with Chris Christie is not going to be voted the most obnoxious blowhard in America. The polls show that. I don't know what he's talking about. Sorry, the audio is a little low there. You know, with these clips just coming in, I didn't have time to get them at their, you know, nice, nice uh, even levels. But, you know, you can still hear it. Um, and, uh, there have been a lot of good Vivek lines and responses. I understand why people don't like him. I understand why people think he's inexperienced, but the entertainment factor is through the roof. Dare I say even Trumpian. So I have to appreciate that. Vivek actually went there. I couldn't believe it. It, During their exchange, again, Chris Christie joins, joins in here to clutch his pearls for Nikki Haley. Oh, how dare Vivek insult a woman's intelligence, such dignity, such prestige, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, Chris Christie is as insulting or more insulting as anybody on the stage. And so Vivek is not going to let him off the hook. He actually said, hey, Chris Christie, why don't you quit and go enjoy a nice meal? Chris, your version of foreign policy experience was closing a bridge from New Jersey to New York. Yeah. So do everybody a favor. Just walk yourself yeah. off that stage. Enjoy a nice meal yeah. and get the hell out of this yeah, race. Right. When it comes to just learn something from Chris. I have to assume that was intentional. I mean, it's pretty sly. Like anybody can enjoy a nice meal, I guess. But Chris Christie certainly has enjoyed many a nice meal in his day. Um, I, I was. It's risky. It's You know, I mean, it's risky to just be like, shut up, you're fat. But Vivek is going with it. And, you know, I just um, I know he's not going to win. I, I And I think he knows he's not going to win. So I think he's just going in for <laughs> he's kind of assuming the Chris Christie role of last time. Remember when Chris Christie just nuked himself and Marco Rubio when he made fun of Marco Rubio for just repeating his bot line about Barack Obama and he kind of murder suicided them both off the stage. I think Vivek might be doing that with Chris Christie right now. It's like, yeah, I maybe I'm not going to win, but I'm definitely murdering you on the way out. And it was wildly entertaining. Uh, Tim, you had a thought. Yeah. So 
for the last debate, we talked about how maybe someone like Joe Rogan should uh, host a debate, or I think Tucker Carlson came up in the conversation as well. How well do you think uh, questions were asked and answers were elicited that got to the heart of what voters are actually going to care about? How well do you think that happened? Uh, tough to say because I only caught about 45 minutes of it. I well, Like I, I said, of I- what you saw. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I think um, Megyn Kelly's an opening question was a third of the debate. Like, lady, get to the point. I know that context matters, and I know there are, is a factual basis behind your question. Um, that said, I, I didn't think this was awful. I mean, there was a lot of spirited back and forth. I think the, the moderators kept the questions going, though, from what I saw and kept them on topic. So I, even though I thought Megyn Kelly's opening question was a mile long, uh, I didn't have a huge problem with the moderators based on what I saw. So that's fine. I mean, it's been it's been spirited. It's been entertaining. And I think it's been pretty substantive, too. There's another interesting back and forth where Vivek is criticizing them all as warhawks. And Vivek is making the point, you guys want to go fight in Ukraine and, and fight all these foreign wars. You can't even name what what's the term in Ukraine? See, I don't even know, but I'm not trying to send people off. <laughs> I'm not trying to send all of our country's resources, potentially even our own uh, members of the military to that region of the world to fight. But he's saying, can you, can you name the, um, the provinces or the regions of Ukraine that you care so much about preserving? And Nikki Haley, in fairness, did respond by naming some of those regions. The uh, Chris Christie was like, you know, I mean, Chris Christie seemed caught in that moment. Like, I'm all in favor of Ukraine interventionism, but I have no basic knowledge of Ukraine. It's even though it seems sort of Jerry Springer-esque based on the clips I've just shown, I thought there actually was some pretty good substance to it. So overall, tonight's debate, while I don't think it matters necessarily in unseating Trump as the favorite, clearly, um, entertainment factor high, I think substance value pretty high. So all in all, uh, a worthwhile watch if you haven't caught it yet, at least in the first hour. Um Let's move on to this, I guess, what is kind of surprise news of the day, even though there were some clues about this previously. But how quickly the times changed. Just over two months ago, Kevin McCarthy, of course, was Speaker of the House. And he was just one Biden fall down the stairs and maybe one Kamala cackle induced stroke away from sitting in the White House himself. Well, now he's on his way out of Congress entirely. Earlier today, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy announced through a Wall Street Journal op-ed entitled I'm Leaving the House, but Not the Fight, that he is quitting Congress outright. He's leaving at the end of the year. And McCarthy lists what he views as his accomplishments in this op-ed. And uh, he he says that you know he's going to continue the fight, as, as the title implies, but he, he writes in part, quote, no matter the odds or personal cost, we did the right thing. That may seem out of fashion in Washington these days, but delivering results for the American people is still celebrated across this country. It is in this spirit that I have decided to depart the White House at the end of the year to serve America in new ways. I know my work is only getting started. McCarthy's not uh, exactly specific on what this work that he's what is this work that he's only getting started with. But he says he's going to work to recruit the best and brightest to run for elected office. He also says he wants to help entrepreneurs start new businesses. Frankly, I mean, it's a brief op-ed. It's only, I don't know, a dozen paragraphs or something. It reads like a bunch of platitudes from a guy who's just pissed off uh, at how his ousting went. And um, and he can be pissed off about that. And you can, you can think that that ousting was wrong or strategically ill-advised. Uh, but I, I don't buy that McCarthy is doing this for anybody but himself, which... 
he is entitled to do. He's in, he's his own man, but I please don't dress it up like you're somehow you're, you're quitting to serve me or to serve America. Uh, number one point to that point, I suppose is, um, well, the number one piece of evidence, I think about this being self-serving rather than service to the country. Why quit early? Why not finish the term out the term to which he was elected? He could retire and he'd be in there for one more year. What is so urgent that he needs to leave now? And especially now after Santos has been ousted and Republican, the Republican majority is so slim. You might think cynically that this is a sabotage move. You get Santos out. There is another Republican from Ohio retiring next month. Now with McCarthy quitting, the Republican majority is almost gone at least temporarily. Now, the, the, the seat from Ohio is a red seat. It'll presumably be filled by another Republican. Santos definitely, that seat might go back to Democrats. That was uh, represented by a Democrat for the decade prior to Santos, uh, his, his election in uh, 2022. If you're a McCarthy cynic here, I mean, he can sit back at, and laugh at those who ousted him by handing Democrats power in the way that he warned that they would and make things much tougher for New Speaker Mike Johnson and the rest of the uh, Republican caucus. Now, in fairness to the cynicism, you can interpret this both ways. Like, this is not the first. It's not as though McCarthy's resignation was entirely out of the blue. But this is what makes me more skeptical of it is McCarthy had flat out denied that he had any intent of doing this within the last couple months. Back in October, when McCarthy was ousted as Speaker, Politico reported he was considering resigning, citing two anonymous sources familiar with the matter. McCarthy at the time denied the report, saying, I quote, I'm not resigning. I got a lot more work to do. So was he lying? Did he have a very abrupt change of heart in just eight weeks? And if it was really just an honest change of heart, then why? What changed so suddenly now other than... Republican numbers in the House continue to weaken. In fact, I, I love this. The um, the turnaround was, uh, there's McCarthy's quote, by the way. I'm not resigning. I got a lot more work to do. Again, this is uh, dated October 6th. It's not ancient history. Funniest part here, uh, and it is legit. I saw this through, um, through libs of TikTok, but you go in and check the tweet. <laughs> Community notes has, it just produces hilarious results sometimes. So back in uh, September, um, McCarthy, uh, McCarthy tweeted, uh, just before his ousting some video of him. And it said, it says, quote, I never quit. And you scroll down and the community note is, is now, uh, he just quit. So thank you for the fact check from the community on that. That is much appreciated. Um, and I, I hate to be so cynical here and to believe that McCarthy is like orchestrating some kind of, uh, some kind of sabotage. Um, but it's hard for me to interpret this in, in, in another way or to, in, to come up with another reason why he's bailing so suddenly now, shortly after saying that he wouldn't. And I have to wonder why now, um, what has changed so suddenly to inspire him to do this? Is this a guy who cares more about sticking it to his opponents within the Republican party? that he does about, about limiting Democrat power. I don't think it's that far fetched to question that considering his eagerness and willingness to work with Democrats on just about every issue. Uh, but um, 
there's there's an added layer here too. McCarthy is also accused of uh, of working with Democrats, or at least working with the it wasn't all Democrats, of course, but working with the Republican faction and Democrats to expel George Santos uh, at the end of last week. Speculation that maybe that's part of a sabotage effort as well. Uh, Steve Bannon was saying that last week. He said it. Uh, he said it about the Santos expulsion. He said this is this is uh, McCarthy's effort to screw MAGA. This is a thing to jam up the house with uh, the new speaker, Mike Johnson. Uh, the quote from Steve Bannon here, uh, quote, this is 100% McCarthy and his acolytes trying to make our job even tougher and take away the majority, said the former Trump sidekick. If they want a civil war, you got one. Now, of course, that's just Steve Bannon's opinion. It's not fact uh, necessarily. I just think it's fair to question what, what, if anything, is the relationship between the Santos expulsion and McCarthy's uh, retirement now or his resignation from the House. Now, in complete fairness, uh, McCarthy was he abstained from the Santos expulsion vote. So McCarthy was not a, a yes vote on Santos expulsion. I don't know if McCarthy has had any kind of statement to explain his uh, his abstaining from the vote. If there is one, I haven't seen it. But um, I mean, just because he just because he he abstained from the vote doesn't mean that he's not pulling strings behind the scenes to facilitate the thing either. But I just don't see a better explanation for McCarthy suddenly changing his mind and suddenly bailing other than he sees opportunity to make things tougher for his opponents within the Republican Party and particularly screw uh, in particular screw those who booted him from office. Uh, and if McCarthy brings a better explanation for this sudden turnaround than just these platitudes like my fight is only just beginning and my story is only possible in America, maybe I'll buy it. Just tell me what changed like within the last week that caused your mind to flip from what you were saying definitively just eight weeks ago. If you can explain that on terms that are specific, I'm willing to entertain it. I just, I find this move to be uh, very confusing and contrary to what the man himself was saying mere weeks ago. And the only thing that's changed is he's no longer speaker and Republicans are in a more vulnerable position in the house than they have been during this entire, um, this entire term of Congress. So, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to shed a tear that uh, McCarthy is leaving. I don't, I don't know the, um, how red his Bakersfield district is. So how likely it is to return another Republican uh, in that seat or not. But of course, when he leaves at the end of the year, you're going to have uh, a vacancy there for at least a little while. There'll be a special election in California and, and we'll get someone else in the seat. But with this retirement in Ohio and Santos's seat vacant and now McCarthy's seat vacant as soon as January hits, there's no room for error. There, uh, I, I don't know if it's two, three, whatever the Republican um, majority will be. It's razor thin and, you know, it's a divided government. If Republicans have power in the house, divided government can be kind of great where it's like, uh, yeah, you might not get anything done, but that's kind of a good thing coming from DC. I'd rather have nothing getting done the majority of the time than the, than the bills that they're passing out of there. As it stands now, yeah, Johnson's going to maintain his speakership unless uh, somebody defects on him in the way that they did on on Kevin McCarthy. But you, all you got to do is get a couple Republicans to peel away and vote with Democrats on whatever radical things they want to propose, introduce, pass. It's not far off to 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 think that the the House is kind of de facto in, in Democrat control. I know that Johnson controls what comes to the floor and all that. I'm just saying. Um, 
this is uh <laughs> this is this is going to get very politically interesting where democrats are as close to power in the house as they possibly could be without actually holding the uh, the speakership uh and that brings us to our congressional fight because of course what matters in congress is not uh taking care of uh the issues that uh define your life in this country it, what we what we have to fight about is how much money to send to foreign countries uh in what quantities and when and to that extent maybe mccarthy is on to something because i certainly wouldn't wouldn't want to work in this uh this wretched hive of scum and villainy either but specifically in a, in a place that cares uh, more about how much money to send to these foreign countries urgently than it does um it does about how to solve the problems that actually affect your life as an american citizen but one of the ways uh, the House Speaker, the new House Speaker, um, Mike Johnson, is at least trying to rein in the blank check for foreign aid to Ukraine and Israel and other places is to tie it to U.S. southern border security. Uh, and we already have a vote that happened or it wasn't a, it wasn't a, um, a vote on a bill, but we had a procedural vote today that failed to clear the 60 vote threshold in the Senate. Uh, to you know, to bring this to the floor and to get this passed as as law. So this all revolves around Biden's proposal from a few weeks ago or, or within a couple months ago, where Biden wants a hundred and ten billion dollar package, whatever it is, uh, to support Ukraine, Israel, and the U.S. southern border. Air quotes with an asterisk because it's about ten percent of the bill, something like fourteen billion dollars that would actually go to. The border, and even that is not not everything is about security. It's things like housing for illegal immigrants and other things that are not actually about border security, but resources for illegal immigrants when they get here. That kind of stuff. So there's this ongoing fight in Congress, and uh, Republicans are at least tr- they're trying to get some border security measures out of this deal, and they can't agree. And so the Senate, uh, the the bill has stalled in the Senate. It's dead for now. Uh, and this comes after apparent heated fighting over the issue yesterday, according to the New York Times, a classified briefing with the Biden administration uh, or officials from the Biden administration and congressional leadership on Tuesday devolved into a partisan screaming match with Republicans accusing Democrats of trying to steamroll over their demands for a border crackdown. That, of course, was uh, ahead of the procedural vote today that did not go in favor of moving this bill along. Uh, And so with the failure of this particular deal, at least for now, it means that Ukraine will likely be without a new round of U.S. resources, at least for the rest of the year, possibly beyond. And so we had some interesting commentary from uh, from Congressman and former House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer on MSNBC yesterday, because let's not forget, this is a very urgent matter. We have to get our priorities straight. You know, we've been working on the border for like a decade now and we haven't had any results. But the difference with Ukraine and the reason we should prioritize Ukraine is that Ukraine needs the money right now. What I've learned is that Ukraine uh, needs resources now, not tomorrow, not the next day, but right now. And it is unconscionable uh, to... uh, Couple that with uh, if we don't do the border, uh, which we haven't been able to do, frankly, for 13 years, a bipartisan bill passed the Senate in 2013 and nothing has happened since then. It's a very tough issue. We ought to do something on the border, but we ought not to make Ukrainian assistance contingent upon that. We ought not to send a message to Vladimir Putin, a dictator and despot who is committing war crimes uh, that 
we're not going to give Ukraine the money it needs so that, in Johnson's words, if he takes Ukraine, he will keep coming. And we'll, our, our men and women will be at risk on the field. Yeah, I remember uh, when that was the George W. Bush saying, we have to fight them there so they don't come here. And now Democrats, well, back then they said it was dumb. Now they're all about it. In fairness, um, I gather that Hoyer means that if we don't fight Putin now in the border region of Ukraine and Russia, uh, that he'll that Putin will invade NATO territory and then the U.S. will then be obligated to fight in response. So not quite the same thing as saying Putin is coming here tomorrow, but the logic still holds. Oh, you better go there and stop him. Otherwise, he's going to go into all your allies houses and burn them down. We shouldn't grant the rest of this logic that he's presenting either because it's backward. Well, how could you make Ukrainian aid contingent on the border? No. Why are you making border security contingent on Ukraine aid? And why is Ukraine aid your apparent priority over the border of your own country, which is invaded, by the way, every single day by thousands of people who are completely unauthorized and we have no idea who the hell they are. And the fact that this guy's mind automatically processes these issues in that priority and that he considers this foreign matter urgent, but this domestic matter, which again is, it's not exactly the same. It's not a foreign military crossing our border, I gather, but it is foreign personnel, foreign interest crossing our border in an unchecked way. The fact that you care about that happening across the globe, but this, when it happens domestically, well, that's something we haven't been able to tackle in a decade and we can really kick that can down the road and who cares? Well, that order of priorities tells you everything you need to know. These people care far more about foreign interests than they do yours or this country's, which means you have to question why. Like, am I supposed to believe that this guy, Steny Hoyer, and everybody who agrees with him in Congress, of whom there are many, that this guy just really loves Ukrainian so-called freedom or really cares about that Eastern European region of the world or really thinks that Putin is going to try to run over NATO or he's going to come invade American soil or something like that. I have my doubts. Uh, you, you have to wonder why they care so much about money and other resources going to a famously corrupt country and whether there's uh, potentially another reason that they might care so much about that thing, uh, about that sort of thing. Is it crucial that the money and those resources are actually fighting Putin or is it crucial that the money and resources do other things in which these politicians might have, might have <clears throat> bear with me. The sickness persists. These politicians might have some significant interest in, in where the money and resources go in that particular famously corrupt country. One way or another, there has to be an explanation as to why this foreign country is the number one priority of the Congress of the United States, at least for many of the members. Presumably somebody's getting rich and it's somebody would imply it's singular. It's not, it's many people. Well, lots and lots of people. Uh, Tim, you had a thought. Just to follow on something that you actually said just then, we need to remember that I think it was in 2021, Biden himself, and I'm sure other people, specifically said Ukraine is quite corrupt. It was under the same president it is now. So as you kind of were saying throughout that, why, you know, why is the change in attitude of now we just need to assume they're not corrupt? Seems weird. Uh, yeah, or maybe they grant like, yeah, there's some corruption, but it's not like Putin level danger. So you just deal with the corruption as a way to get Putin. I, I don't know. They try to worm their way out of that one. But meanwhile, though, 
<coughs> excuse me, Dick Durbin, the uh, the senator from Illinois, he's got this genius idea for how to solve all of our problems. Of course, we have a forever border invasion, as discussed. And last week, as discussed, uh, the military has this inability to recruit anybody since they forced a nonsense shot on everybody and since they often care about uh, pushing a progressive social agenda more than they do about, I don't know, building an actually proficient fighting force. Dick Durbin has a genius idea. Why not just fix these problems together in one fell swoop? Why not bring all the illegal immigrants to basic training and to boot camp, have them put on a uniform, and once they're done, just give them U.S. citizenship? Her bill, and I hope I describe it accurately, says that if you are an undocumented person in this country and you can pass the physical and the required test, background test, the like, you can serve in our military. And if you do it honorably, we will make you citizens of the United States. Do we need that? Do you know what the recruiting numbers are at the Army and the Navy and the Air Force? They can't reach their quotas each month. They can't find enough people to join our military forces. And there are those who are undocumented who want the chance to serve and risk their lives for this country. Should we give them the chance? I think we should. Or we could actually make a proficient American fighting force from Americans who actually care about America. It's an interesting thought pattern there. Hey, why don't Americans want to join the American military anymore? I don't know, but let's import thousands of unvetted foreigners to address that problem. Great solution. Now, you might rightfully question, isn't that a little dangerous? If someone crosses our border illegally, by definition, that person does not have respect for our laws or our country. So what loyalty will they have in their service to the country through the U.S. military? Well, precisely might be the answer to that question. If we simply accept that these people care more about either radically transforming or destroying this country than they do preserving it. Why would they want to do that? Well, number one, uh, this would become, of course, a, an easy automatic voting block. You import the horde of impoverished immigrants. You let them literally be your army as you make them dependents of the state. And you enjoy your massive new voting block once you give them citizenship because they'll never vote against the hand that feeds them. Or maybe you want to actively undo some American values. What's better than an army without American values for such a thing? We often wonder or discuss, you know, if it actually came down to the president or someone in the federal government ordering the seizure of Americans weapons or just undoing the constitutional order of the country and, and issuing some sort of military order in that pursuit. Um, would the military actually follow through with that? Would, uh, would your average soldier from Kansas or your average farm boy, would he comply with a federal government's order to go raid his neighbor's house and try to take his rifles? And I think the answer is probably not. You know, I think of like uh, John Frankman, who we talked to last week. Uh, do, if, if John Frankman was ordered to, to raid my house and try to get into my gun safe and take my stuff, I have 100% faith that he's not going to do that. Could you say the same about some guy from Honduras with nothing to lose? No, no loyalty to this country. 
no care about you or your family to do it. Now, I wrote in the notes here that uh, for that sort of job, he would be just the Jose to do it. But Tim corrected my joke and said, no, it's he'd be just the one to do it. Just the one to do it. So credit where due, Tim. That's your joke. Uh, go, you, you had a thought? Yeah, I just want to get a bit of a clarification from you. And maybe there's no material difference when it comes down to it. When you're talking about the potential of an increased voting block, are you thinking individual voters? Because I have heard people talk about how if they can claim that a, a state claims that it's got a bigger population now, they can try and get more electoral college votes and sort of rig a system that way. So, again, maybe there's no material difference. I'm just curious what you're thinking and how that may play out in your mind. Yeah, it's either. I mean, either way, you you are going to bring in individual voters who, of course, will tip the scales. You're going to increase the populations of these states, which, of course, will tip the scales in their their representation in Congress, uh, the amount of electoral college votes they get. My point is, this is going to be a massive voting block in all voting contexts. And you know which way they're going to vote because they are directly incentivized to vote that way because that's how they were brought into the country and that's how they're taken care of. So why would they why would they plausibly vote against such a thing? They won't. And uh, if you're cynical about this sort of thing, as it's hard not to be, that seems like it might be the potential design. And I, I did want to add some context here because, of course, people will say, well, aren't there already uh, non-citizens or foreign people in our, our military? Yes. Uh, don't people already gain citizenship through military service? Yes, they do. Key distinction is those that do already have a legal presence in this country. They have a work permit. They have a permanent uh, residence. They speak English. We know who they are. They've gone through a legal process to get where they are. People who just hopped the border yesterday without a care for the law are generally not in the ranks. And that's a distinction that matters if you care about loyalty to this country and respect for the rule of law. Uh, go ahead, Tim. So I just want to add some extra context and something to think about. Uh, arrests of people on the FBI terror watch list, it, it hit a 100-year high, apparently, between October 2022 September 2023. There are 172 arrests, 98 the year before, 16, if my calculation's correct, in a term that was partially under Trump. Um now, if there's that many that have been arrested, presumably they've seen them, they've arrested them. How many have got away that are on some sort of terrorist watch list that have you know, bad intentions? I don't know what the process is going to be. I don't know how they can filter that out. But it worries me that people might be killing innocent Americans with weapons that the American government gives to them. Maybe well, I'm being Yeah, well, when they cross the border, they actually are carrying automatic weapons supplied to them by the ATF. Um, fair point on the, uh, the terrorist watch list. Although I will say as far as I'm aware, I'm on the terrorist watch list currently. So, you know, uh, but no, you, I mean, I obviously grant your point that we don't know who these people are. They could be anybody. And some of them may be in an honest state of desperation, looking for any opportunity that they, that they can. In fact, that might be the majority of them. I'm, I, I don't have, a. uh, some sort of survey of that. The point is, let's say that you are a terrorist guy. You're some sort of Islamic militant who's like, ah, you know, I, October 7th was, uh, was fun in the Middle East. I'd like to bring that sort of thing over to America. If you can enter this country illegally and just join the ranks of the military. Um, yeah. I mean, all it takes is a guy 
who uh, has some knowledge of explosives or other demolition who could do major, major damage to you know, our military infrastructure, to our military personnel. It's, uh, it's completely insane that this is even uh, considered. But uh, watch it. Watch, watch them do it. Uh, Tim, you have a thought? Sorry, just another quick thought. Haven't there been instances where I don't think they were officially part of the military? I think they were allies we we're working with. Haven't there been instances of people that have gone nuts and shot up American soldiers that they've yeah, worked there with? Was the... I think it's been overseas. Well, I know uh, there have definitely situation. been cases of Afghan police personnel, Afghan military personnel doing that. There was also the Fort Hood shooter domestically, who I don't know a, a ton about the specifics of that, but he was alleged to have Islamic terror ties, I believe. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely happened. And you're making it more likely by, with a policy proposal like this, but that you know, cynically, that's maybe why they're doing it. Uh, but hey, speaking of explosives... I want to discuss this insane case in Arlington, Virginia, because we still don't know what happened, but investigation remains ongoing. And what I would say is the most mysterious story of the week. This is um, suburban DC, Arlington, Virginia. It's just a few miles away from the Capitol and the white house. And, um, and this is at a home for which police had a search warrant. It blew up in a massive explosion as police were trying to get the homeowner out of the home on Monday afternoon and into the evening in case you haven't seen the explosion, I have two angles of it and don't worry, they're taken from far away. So it's not like this is particularly um, graphic or violent or anything like that, but the explosion is absolutely massive. And this one, you can hear police issuing orders to him to come out before the blast goes off. That that explosion is sky high. I guess I'm not uh, an explosives expert, but I've never seen anything like that in a residential neighborhood. I can tell you that much. The uh, The homeowner is or was 56-year-old James Yu. They're now saying Mr. Yu is dead. The timeline is this. Uh, at 4.45 p.m. on Monday, Arlington police were called for a report of possible shots fired. So officers go to the house and they identify a, a man inside who had been firing a flare gun out of the window 30 or 40 times. I've seen some video. Some of those flares were just going straight up in the air. So I don't know if he was firing them all straight up in the air from his house or if he's firing them on the street, but he's firing 30 to 40 of these flares. And then this homeowner, James Yu, upon police arrival at the house, he barricades himself inside the home. He refuses to make contact with police. Police then obtained a search warrant and breached the door of the home when and then and you started firing gunshots at them. So not just the flare gun. He's got some kind of firearm that he's shooting at them. So police are back outside and they're trying to issue orders for him to come out. This was shortly before 830 p.m. As police are trying to get him out of the house sometime around 830, 45, that massive explosion happened, leveling the entire property and reportedly killing you. Now, miraculously, there were no police injuries or deaths, at least any serious injuries. Some officers, according to this report, had minor injuries, but nobody was hospitalized. At a press conference yesterday, Arlington County Police Chief Andy Penn said human remains were found inside the home, at least what was left uh, of the body. Uh, who knows? I mean, he, some human remains were discovered on the property. 
Investigators presume that is Yu's body or part of Yu's body. uh, Autopsy still pending. And there's still no official finding as to what exactly caused or fueled that massive blast. The fire chief said authorities turned off gas service to the home and evacuated nearby residents 90 minutes before the explosion. He did not say what prompted those moves. Maybe you made some sort of threat. Uh, he was firing off the the flares, so I assume maybe that's just they, he didn't even have to say anything. The fact that he's firing off this flammable material, maybe they said, yeah, please cut the gas on that, I assume. Or perhaps police saw something that they they thought was a, a danger beyond just the the flares themselves. Unclear. But also unclear is is why this guy, James Yu, would do this other than he seems just kind of kooky. Uh, he had a series of ranting internet posts, especially on LinkedIn, which to me, that's the kookiest part. He posts his kookery on LinkedIn. Uh, I didn't know anybody actually makes like, I thought that was just a place you post your resume, uh, but he's making actual posts describing his opinions and stuff over on LinkedIn. And uh, his LinkedIn profile reads in part, defund FBI, defund CIA, defund NSA, purge all NOCs, purge all spies. So ultra... MAGA right-wing extremist confirmed, I suppose. Um, but he also posted rants about his neighbors and a former coworker. Nothing clearly tied to a motive for this explosion. Uh, neighbors describe him as a recluse. And they say he, that he put aluminum foil over his windows. A neighbor also says that Yu's house was once listed for sale, but Yu chased off a would-be buyer with a knife. One of his posts about his neighbors also appears to have an anti-white bend. Uh, He wrote, quote, uh, and this is just three days before the explosion about one of his neighbors, quote, her two children are spies and act as buffers, recollecting my information and then delivering their handlers. This is how the ruling class stays anonymous using buffers and handlers to absorb digital ID. This is how white people operate and have the luxury of outnumbering all other races by almost seven to one in America. Again, that post three days before the explosion. Is it related? It's hard to say. Uh, you also had a lawsuit or a series of kind of uh, what, what appear to be frivolous lawsuits that really went nowhere against his ex-wife. Uh, and then he had a YouTube channel that contained silent videos showing court filings from these lawsuits, but again, nothing happened from these lawsuits. He wasn't victorious. I'm not sure that they even got into any meaningful stage of the process. So I guess based on what we understand right now, he's just alone or was, or, you know, is he dead in the explosion? Is he off living on Epstein Island right now? I I don't know, but uh, he's dead. If you, if you take the story at face value and with the times as crazy as they are with as many evil forces as they are, Mysteries like this one certainly ripe for conspiratorial thinking. Maybe the guy was just crazy and kooky and that's all there is to it. I really just want to know what the explosive material actually was. Again, I have no expertise or experience in explosives in that way. It just seems hard to believe something of that size or that power was just, oh, he was running a gas line on his stove or something. Uh, or really anything you would normally find within a home. like That looked like he had a stockpile of explosives loaded in his basement. Or he had 50 meth labs down there, concentrated all together. I've never seen anything like that in a residential neighborhood. But Tim, you had a thought. 
Oh, well, I mean, a couple of things. Firstly, I would question in terms of, I mean, I know you're being somewhat facetious, but uh, explosives or a few like labs with dangerous chemicals, because it seemed like one single explosion, like it was one thing that exploded. It was pretty quick. Made yeah. a fireball. Yeah, then made a fireball for a couple of uh, couple of seconds and then sort of dissipated. So it seems like it's an individual thing that exploded, whatever it was. Uh, secondly, I don't know if you saw this. One of the lawsuits was apparently about his former wife and sister, I think it was, trying to have him committed. Oh, that's what the suit was about. It was about some kind of there mental were, health. There was thing. a few. There were a couple of suits he filed, but that okay. was one of them. Um and thirdly, he also made complaints to the FBI about, I believe the nature of the cases were people committing fraud against him. Might be completely unrelated. I only bring it up because I wonder if that kind of means that they had, like, I don't know what the substance of the cases were beyond that. I wonder if that, uh, what sort of, um, how much he was on their radar, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, everyone's on the FBI's radar. Yeah, yeah, but just in terms of are they yeah. looking at him and going, um, this guy seems a bit crazy, we need to be keeping an eye on him, that sort of thing. Not that I trust that trust their judgment on that, but, you know. Yeah, I, I just, I want to know what the the actual material of the explosion was. That's the number one mystery to me. That is unbelievable. So maybe Yeah, yeah, and as of about an hour ago, that, yeah, as of about an hour ago, that was the most recent story I looked at. Doesn't seem to be any updated hmm. information on that, so they seem like they're still investigating. Hmm. Uh, you know what probably happened? He had a, an illegal an illegal immigrant army recruit living in his basement, and the guy's vest went off is actually what happened, I think. Well, maybe it was another Chinese bio lab. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that the CDC and the FBI refused to investigate. But uh, but all right, um, we're getting close to the top of the hour. So I have some – I had some other stories prepped. I'm going to save those for later. Um and I want to leave some time for email questions and, of course, for a little bit of Super Chat, if there are any. So we had, uh, what, two email questions that we want to discuss tonight. Uh, Tim, you want to read the first one for me? So I had... Oh, damn it. I thought I had them in the actual show notes here. Just give me one second. I'll open another document. Uh, I can go to Super Chat first. I don't think so, Tim. Doing that. <laughs> Tell you what, I'm going to read it. Uh, okay. Alex says, well, we want to resolve problems with the government with the First Amendment. At what point do we need to use the second to tell the government no? Presumably, I think that line was crossed or personally, sorry, personally, I think that line was crossed before I was born. But Americans are too comfortable to stand up. Now, let me uh, appropriately preface this uh, response, uh, appropriately qualify it. Uh, the following is a preview of my upcoming fictional novel, describing the fall of the United States and the construction of a new world in the aftermath. It is in no way a advocacy for how this situation should be handled just for the sake of, uh, you know, uh, Neil Mahan at YouTube and the rest of the forces who might be interested in um, cracking down on me for what I'm about to say, even though what I'm about to say is really just reliving the, the principles and the action of the declaration of independence, the idea on which this country was, was founded. Now I agree with you, Alex, that, we are beyond the point of constitutional betrayal. I think that your speech rights are largely trashed by the federal government. I think your gun rights are largely trashed, ironically, to your point about the Second Amendment. And if they're not already trashed, we can see the trajectory, okay? Like, yes, the United States is still probably the freest country in the world as far as speech. And yes, the United States is probably still the freest country in the world on gun rights. 
We see the trajectory, though, and we see a federal government involved in all sorts of restrictions on both that it shouldn't be. But beyond that, we also see a federal government that is overly involved and has completely disrupted the balance, the constitutional balance of power between the states and the federal government. Really, the day-to-day governance of your life should happen in your state. It should not be coming from the federal government. The federal government largely exists to protect the states and to manage disputes between the states. It doesn't exist to dictate the day-to-day life of the American citizen. So for all those reasons, I think we are past the point of constitutional betrayal. And um, and to your point on the Second Amendment, the Second Amendment, of course, is philosophically defensive in nature. The reason that we have it is to preserve our natural rights from those who would violate them or already have violated them, uh, in this case, in the federal government. So if we no longer consent to the federal government or this iteration of the federal government, as the Declaration of Independence says, is the basis for legitimate government, Legitimate government exists at the consent of the governed and to secure your natural rights. Well, then you exercise that right defensively. And that's what was done with the declaration. And if we were going to do some sort of national breakup again, hypothetically in a fantastic upcoming fictional novel, that's what you would do. And and the reason I have so much respect for the founding of this country philosophically and in action is because it, it was right on the principles about legitimate government, but it was right in the morality of it too. And what Thomas Jefferson and the founders did, they formally wrote up the ways in which in that case, the King, or in this case, the federal government was violating their rights or is violating our rights. You make this sort of list of grievances. You say, Hey, these are all the ways that you're violating your own legitimacy. And we're not going to participate in that anymore. And that's that's what they did at the founding. And if you would like to force us to participate in that, excuse me, uh, that's going to that's going to be a problem. And we will be forced to defend ourselves if you try to force that upon us. That is a perfectly moral position. It is not attacking. It is not aggressive. It is simply saying, please leave me alone. And if you don't leave me alone, uh, that's going to be your problem. And, and that's what you do. It's not, the second amendment is not, um, it's not like grab your rifle and go get them necessarily. It's here's what it, it's to defend yourself from aggressors coming upon you. Okay. And when you try the words with the aggressors, you say, listen, this is not working out for reasons X, Y, and Z. I believe you're wrong on moral principle, A, B, and C, and they still come after you and they still try to exert immoral force upon you. That's what the second amendment is for. Another excellent way, I think, to achieve the sort of thing that you're talking about, Alex, um, citizens and states uh, trying to restore a a proper balance of power with the federal government, citizens and states just agreeing to stop paying taxes. Sorry, we don't agree with this arrangement. We're going to keep our money. You can come try to take our money away from us, but there's going to be problems if you do that because that would be robbery. I don't think there's anything morally wrong with that. Your money is your money. I think the moral wrong is the institution, particularly of the federal income tax. The the problem with with federalizing tax, of course, is you can't escape it. You know, I I can grant that taxation is sort of a necessary evil of functioning government. But the point is, when you keep taxation with the states, the states have to compete. And if you don't like the way that your state handles taxation, you have the option of heading over to the greener pasture in the state nearby. And that keeps the states honest. It makes sure that they can't just run roughshod over you with unreasonable taxation. When we federalize this, nobody can escape it. Everybody has to do this. And if all the states 
uh, or, or citizens uh, who object to this got together and said, no, sorry, IRS, we're not doing that anymore. Again, I think that would be a perfectly moral piece of, um, of resistance. The problem with that is the way that this has all just been baked into the cake, uh, the way that your federal income tax is automatically deducted from your paycheck, the way that's all automated, the best thing that we could do if we were going to keep the income tax uh, which we shouldn't, but let's say that we were going to maintain the federal income tax. Everybody should have to cut the check to the IRS themselves. Everybody should have to separate with that money, not through some sort of automated deduction from your check and not through something that you just see on that pay stub. If you go looking for it, you should have to sit down and, and actually separate with the money and watch it leave your hand. I think we'd have a lot more honest tax policy if we did something like that. And I also think people would have a different perspective on whether their tax dollars are being used uh, effectively. So that's a really long winded way of getting to the the heart of your question, uh, Alex, which is that's what the second amendment's all about. It's saying, Hey, thanks, but no, thanks. I'm going to hang out over here and not participate in your degeneracy and your aggression. And if you, if you would prefer to continue to exert aggression on me, Hey, that's on you, man, you come after me. And that's, that's what the second amendment is for. So those are the ways that I would handle it. You got to formalize the process. You got to get organized and you got to take the moral position that the founders did by listing those grievances and establishing that moral position up front. And uh, that way you've tried everything you could uh, when they come for you and you're forced to defend yourself again, as part of a thrilling novel coming next year that has absolutely no basis in reality at the present moment in this country. Tim, you had a thought. Uh, no, just letting you know, I do have the second uh, question queued up, ready to go. If you want to go to it, we are yeah. over the hour, so I don't know if you want to just go yeah, to super chats. We got uh, we got a couple of minutes, so let's get the second question from KJ here, and then we'll read a couple of super chats. We'll call it a night. No worries. So KJ wants to know what is the best way for someone who's just getting into politics to catch up with what's going on. So, for example, someone who just found out that the BLM founders used the majority of the donations that they received to buy multiple mansions. I don't think there's a one-stop shop kind of website that succinctly lays out every fraudulent narrative ever pushed by the mainstream media. I've only been following politics semi-closely for a couple of years now and still feel like there's so much more to get caught up on, like, for example, when Blonde mentioned the USS Liberty. Keep up the good work, Matt. Well, thank you, KJ. Uh Definitely agree that there is no one source that you can just point people to and say, hey, you want to have your mind opened? You want to be awakened? Go check this out. Um, That's not a thing that exists, even though I I wish I had that easy thing for you. But you recognize that that doesn't really exist. I would say if you're interested in changing minds, the best way to do that is to change the minds of your friends and family, because those are the people on whom you have the most influence. So really, like... Who who opens up minds, who changes minds, who awakens people? It's you with the circle of people in your life. And I will, uh, it happened to me personally. The people who changed my mind and opened me to new concepts. Um, I mean, a lot of them are people I met on the internet, but you know, they're friends. They're not, uh, it's not like someone just coming and yelling at me and lecturing me and telling me to read this article or watch that video. They're people who came to me with uh, an honest perspective and the Socratic method wanting to know again, this is former like reliable Democrat voter, former progressive me and just honest questions about, Oh, that's interesting. You support policy a or policy B. Why? 
for what reason do you support that? For what reason do you think that's a good idea? It's, this isn't about owning them or getting them or trapping them or any of that. It's, it's about trying to understand the reasons why people hold the positions that they do. And when you ask people that sort of question, honestly, eventually you'll get down to first principles. Like I support policy A because of first principle B. For, for people like me, former progressive me, when people question me to get down to those first principles, and I really realized that those first principles that I hold don't necessarily align with the policy positions that I tend to vote for, that I tend to view as good, well, then the gears get spinning in my head and I realize like, I have looked at this issue the wrong way for years. That's what you want to do if you're interested in changing minds. It's not like point someone to this article or that video it's have the sort of good faith conversation that gets people's gears spinning. I've watched it happen myself with, with friends on things like gun rights, you know, like people will want to, friends will want to debate me on something they disagree, something like that. And I'm not trying to own them. I'm not trying to like dunk on them. It's just, okay, you think a, B and C why? And you know, would your perspective change if instead it could be shown that this is true or that is true? It's not about owning. It's not about winning in the moment. Like I said, it's you'll find that even if you don't, when you, ch when you change a person's mind, very rarely do they say, you know, you just changed my mind. You're right. What happens is they kind of try to debate you and they realize that they're inconsistent in their views or that they don't know as much as they thought they did. They don't tell you, oh, you just defeated me and you changed my mind. They go home and they think about it and maybe they'll text you later like, Hey, you said this, where can I learn more about that? Or, you know, what you mentioned this, do you have any more information about that? That's what I would say. I know that that's a lot more difficult than like, Oh, just send them to like changeyourmind.com. <laughs> but you, you want to make a difference. You want to change minds. That's how you do it. You be that agent of mind changing in your own circle and you do it with honestly asking questions and just having good faith discussions with people until they realize as I did several years ago, a lot of my opinions don't make sense. I haven't thought this through. And that guy seems to have a much more thoughtful, thorough perspective on it. So maybe he's right. That's how that sort of thing happens. So good luck and Godspeed, KJ. And um, once I tell you what, I will work on building the uh, the one-stop shop as quickly as I can. Uh, but appreciate your your help with this, uh, this show in the meantime. Uh, Tim, you had a thought. You know, I sound like a bit of a suck up for, for a little bit. Oh, if so like, you plan to kiss my ass? Go oh, by all means. Yeah. Um, admittedly, some of your older videos from maybe about 2016, it seems like maybe you changed after the 2016 election. I don't know. Uh, some of those were a bit more fun and a bit more responding to crazy, you know, um, box videos and things like that. Mm -hmm. But if you watch Matt's videos over the last couple of years, the, I've, I know it's something that people really appreciate about him because I have been reading the, the chats leading up to you starting at Tenet is that you break things down. You won't just say, this is why it's stupid, this is why it's dumb. You'll try to provide data. You'll try to break things down. You'll try to give information that people could take and then basically follow to look at, you know, statistics on trans people getting murdered or, or you know, gun laws or things like that. So probably go do a bit of a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Do a bit of a binge on some of Matt's videos, just kind of work your way backwards maybe and have a look at his. Because it is something, and I know it sounds like a suck-up thing to the boss, but it is one thing with you that I know a lot of people state they appreciate is you will break things down. You won't just give an opinion. You will try to back it up with some data and try to look at things. So, 
Well, just thank you for the kind words. We love you. You're very special. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there is a reason why I choose to make the content the way I do. And, and it's to, even though I hold an opinion, uh, and I hope that people would agree with me, I want people to see the thought process that goes behind the formation of it, of course. And, uh, and thank you for that. Um, but don't go watch my old material is absolute trash. <laughs> Unlike, uh, you know, today's material, which is excellent and perfect quality, except for when I forget to unmute my mic to start the show. And except for when the show, you know, quits, <laughs> quits early. Um, let's get a couple super chats uh, before we're yeah, done so, for the night. Yeah. So I got both these loaded up. I'll start with the rumble ones. Uh, so Ginger Ninja 1776, you've sent us a couple. Don't know if you saw the rumble rants from last week. I do want to make note before I continue Ginger Ninja. We will have had that cut off at the end of the show because it dropped out early. So yeah, I, I should have said that at the top. Sorry about super chats. Of course, too. We did read super chats, but it got cut out. So that was not my intent, but yeah, those disappeared due to the connection. But anyway, nothing angers me more than the infringement on rights of service members. Thanks for covering it last week. Here's some more useless Biden bucks. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, and Ginger, I did see that you mentioned something in YouTube super chats because your second message is never mind. Maybe it was YouTube super chats I sent last week. I don't know. So thank you, Ginger Ninja. And, and sorry for missing chats last week. I mean, we did get to, we did get to them in a part of the stream that was deleted from the internet, <laughs> but no one saw, but yeah. yeah. Um, and then addicted to drum, just a uh, message. Thanks. I'm not sure what that's in reference to, but it's okay. in reference to the show. Thank you. Addicted to drums. Appreciate it. I assume so. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and I will go over to the YouTube chats. We've only got a couple there. Stupid mouse. What are you doing? Okay, so we had one from. How do you pronounce this? Is it Daniel Jaeger? Jaeger? Yeah, Jaeger, like a Jaeger bomb. Okay, Daniel Jaeger, uh, McCarthy and McHenry, Speaker Pro Tem, are both out. The establishment young guns of the Tea Party days, Eric Cantor, Paul Ryan, and McCarthy are gone. That's right. I I, I saw that headline earlier today, and I completely forgot it about it. Uh, McHenry's leaving too. So you have a whole bunch of resignations or expulsions that are uh, putting that GOP majority in a very tenuous spot right now. So is McHenry actually in a position where he's voting on stuff? Is he going to be a vote lost? No, I, th I think he's retiring from Congress. Let me uh, double check that. Okay. Well, while you're checking that, there's also one from Slosher. Service oh, at end of term, though. At end of term. So he's not leaving. Right. Like he's not leaving a McCarthy style. At the end of the year. So that is not as consequential. He's leaving, you know, he'll, he'll have someone elected to replace him, but there won't be a vacancy in that case. Uh, and one from Slosher service guaranteed citizenship. I don't know if you know that reference. Oh, I do because we watched that movie. Yeah, um, I was curious. I'm like, the, I think you've watched that, haven't you? I'm not I know sure. the movie in my head. What the hell's the title of it though? Uh, it's Starship, the one in space with all Troopers. the bugs. Yeah. Um, yeah, Starship Troopers. Thank you, Slosher. I would say you can go read my review of, of uh, Starship Troopers, as we do on my Sunday show, a movie review each and every week. But I know, uh, I know you've seen it by now. So thanks for supporting the show, and uh, I'll say no more about my terrible movie reviews that nobody should subject themselves to. But people continue to for some reason. So okay, uh, that looks like it. I'm just going to refresh quickly, just double check something that hasn't else. Yeah, I think uh, we're all set on YouTube, but uh, I think we're all set. Yeah. Okay. Anything else to say before we call it a night? No, I think that's just about it. Hurry up, YouTube. What are you doing? All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for nah, tuning yeah, in this that evening. that looks like it. 
That looks like very it. much appreciated. Thanks for uh, your live participation in the show. If you're listening later, thank you as well for tuning in. Uh, if you missed any part of the show or you'd like to find more from me to listen to, check out mattchristensenmedia.com. Uh, we'll be back each and every Wednesday, I hope. And maybe by this time next week, I'll have a, a newborn son to talk about too. But have a great night and a great week until Monday.